Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we remember this morning that your son Jesus said that if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit, fruit that will last. That's what we pray for this morning, for our lives to be fruitful for you, um, for this church to be fruitful for you. Amen. Amen. There was a movie that came out um, uh, back in 2000 called Pay It Forward. Did any of you see this movie, Pay It Forward? Uh, in the movie, a seventh grade teacher, played by Kevin Spacey, um, gives his class this outside-of-the-box assignment to come up with an idea that will change the world, and then they need to put that idea into practice. And uh, the kids start complaining, and one boy asks, so are you going to, like, flunk us if we don't change the world? And Kevin Spacey goes, no, I wouldn't do that, but maybe you'll just sneak by with C's. So he teases them a little bit, and the kids are like, ah. Now, most of the students end up coming, with, uh, coming up with ideas that are silly. But one kid comes up with something that sounds like it could really work. He calls it pay it forward. And so um, I want to explain what he says to you guys this morning. I got this little whiteboard. I'm going to use this a few times. All right? So here's his pay it forward idea. He says, uh, it starts with this one person. He says, this is me, and, um, and then there's, there's three other people. He needs to do three major favors for other people, things that they can't do for themselves. And, uh, and so he, he does a favor for each of these people, and uh, when they say, wow, like, how can we thank you? Why did you do this? How can we ever repay you? Um, he needs to tell them, just pay it forward. Do three major favors for three other people. And, uh, and so then what happens if these three people um, do three favors for three more people, all of a sudden you got nine people that are impacted, right? And then if, and then if you took that and split it into three more, it starts to kind of add up really quickly, right? We get to 27. Some of you guys are like, oh, okay, yeah, you need to see that. Sorry. There we go. <laughs> Hooray. Um, could you think you could figure out a way to rig the piano bench so they could see this? Because I'm going to write on this a couple times. Um, uh, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but yeah, so, so the idea is um, um, when, you're, when, you're, when you're making an impact that's multiplicative, it's not, it's not just you know, uh, uh, growth through addition. When it's multiplicative, things add up really fast from 3 to 9 to 27 and so on, right? It's a cool idea, the, 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 kid, the idea that this kid has in this movie. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, we'll try it. These are the kinks that you, I'll just draw on it and then I'll just lift it up. Yeah. You never know what you're going to get at Incarnation Tallahassee. All right. So, um... It is a, it's a really cool idea that the kid has, and, uh, and it like strikes some of the kids in his class. They're like, wow, that's really cool. Some of them are like, eh, you know, that's not going to work. But he starts to put it into action, and then other people start to put it into action, and then they start hearing like pay-it-forward stories happening in like other states or in other countries and stuff like that. So a movement, a multiplicative movement gets started because this kid's idea. So it's a really cool idea 
but it's not actually original, right? 2,000 years earlier, Jesus' plan for spreading the kingdom of God was predicated on this whole idea of multiplication too. So it started with 12 men, but the mission was supposed to spread to every nation under the sun. And in order to accomplish this, they didn't just add disciples, one here and one there. They needed to become a multiplying movement. You make three disciples and each of them makes three disciples and each of them makes three or four more or whatever. Whatever way that it shapes down, it becomes a multiplicative movement. So in a nutshell, that's how this minority movement called Christianity, uh, which preached love for its enemies and moral purity and care for the poor and the forgiveness of God. That's how it spread so fast by disciples paying it forward to unreached people. And John mentioned last week um, that in less than 300 years, the Christian movement, this little teeny band of people, had spread throughout the entire Roman Empire. It had become the predominant religion in the Roman Empire. So in this relatively short amount of time, something that began as a mustard seed grew into the largest tree in the garden so that the birds could come and take refuge in its branches. And it didn't come from large buildings, right? Not that there's anything wrong with that, but they weren't even legal at the time. Right? It multiplied from house to house, disciple by disciple, winning the hearts of people through acts of love and a compelling message and a compelling figure, Jesus Christ. It was like a small measure of yeast, Jesus says, that works its way through a whole lump of dough until the whole loaf was leavened with the love of God. I remember um, after I had been a campus minister for about four years, the ministry, it had grown in complexity a bit every single year. And so, you know, we had a, we had a fairly large group. It was probably bigger than it had ever been. And we had more and more events happening like every day. And more and more of our leaders were spread more and more thin. You know, they had like a million commitments and stuff like that. And um, I really felt like going into that fourth year, the Lord was telling me that summer, um, that we were not supposed to build the ministry up like the Tower of Babel. We were supposed to spread it out, that it was supposed to have like a more pervasive um, sort of impact. And uh, the cool thing is, at, at that time, it, it, was, it was fairly big, but it felt like we um, had less and less of an impact on campus. Like we were more and more so just sort of like reaching like youth group all-stars who would have gone to like another Christian group if we didn't reach them. You know, less and less non-Christians, less and less risk going on in the mission. And so that year, um, we started by having some of our, some of our top leaders um, begin to come up with like entrepreneurial ideas to like start new things elsewhere. So starting things on different campuses or did to different niche groups. And it was a little bit scary because we were like kind of spreading out and like we, you know, kind of weren't all together anymore. But it was amazing because the group grew like it had never grown before. And we saw a ton of people come to know the Lord and our impact became so much more pervasive. By not building up Tower of Babel style, but by moving out in this yeast in this mustard seed, in this multiplicative seed to apple tree to orchard way, we were able to have far greater of an impact. So I want to talk about this idea of a multiplying movement this morning. It's going to be a little bit less formal than usual, and I'm going to tell some ministry stories and even draw a few pictures and raise up the whiteboard so that you can see it. 
But we're going to look at each of these three passages, so be ready to flip to Genesis 1 and Matthew 28 and Acts 1 if you want to grab a Bible. We're going to get some more Bibles so that we can do this a little easier. Um, And let's see what we can learn about multiplication. In the end, if there's time, I want to open it up for a few minutes of questions or comments. Um, Although when I wrote that, uh, my message was shorter than it ended up being, so we'll see. All right, so three points about this principle of multiplication. And my first point is that living things multiply. Living things multiply. They reproduce. Right? What is, what's the first commandment that God issues to human beings in the Bible? Right. Be fruitful and multiply. Genesis chapter 1. So turn with me to that passage, to Genesis chapter 1, if you would. And there is a lot here, actually, about being fruitful and multiplying. So we see on the third day in verse 11, God creates plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is seed. On the fifth day, God says to all the birds of the air and all the fish of the sea, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And on the sixth day, we get to the animals, the beasts of the earth. And, um, and then in the climax, we come to human beings. Now, the New Creation missional community spent about three weeks studying Genesis chapter 1. And we noticed that the whole structure of creation is about God sort of making a container and then filling that container. So there's this parallel structure going on throughout Genesis chapter 1. So you have day 1, God creates um, the skies. uh, And then day 4, God fills um, the skies with stars. And then you have uh, day 2, God creates the waters And in day, um, did I say day four before? Right. And then in day five, he fills the waters with fish. And then you have day six, God creates the land. I mean, uh, day three, God creates the land. And day six, God creates the animals and the human beings to dwell upon the land. Does that make sense? There's this, and then he rests on the seventh day. So there's this parallel structure. One to four, two to five, three to six, right? (laughs) Yay. (laughs) It's always, you know, when you're you're starting to get rooted for, it's like, hey, thanks for being sympathetic. Um, It's like like what a stand-up comedian never wants to hear is like a round of applause, like, "Ah, we're not going to laugh, but you tried, you know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but but actually, um, God doesn't fill these containers completely. We have a role. We have a God-given role to participate in the filling process. And how do we do that? Through multiplying. Right? Through multiplication. Look with me at Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them. It says, God blessed them. Note the word blessing. This, com- this word is commonly associated with the word multiply throughout Genesis. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And God repeats these two words again to Noah and his family after the flood. It says in Genesis 9-1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then later, these two words show up several more times in the story about Abraham. One example, Genesis 22-17, And surely I will bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. So clearly, multiplication is linked with blessing in God's economy. Right? Multiplication is linked with blessing. And of course, all these pages refer to having children, right? Who have children, who have children. 
And sometimes I think it seems like in our culture that we view that kind of multiplication as more of a curse than a blessing, right? We're afraid of big families. We're afraid of overpopulation, right? A term that's often used to disguise racism and to justify gender-specific abortion. And yes, there are some dense cities, but did you know that there are still billions upon billions of uninhabited acres of land on the earth? So meanwhile, we make it convenient for people to block life, to terminate life. I I remember I had a a friend who had a big family, and... um, Every time they would have a, ch- a child, he remembered he got sick of it because um, people would, would like come up and like, you know, try to have a heart-to-heart with a man. Hey, man, you kind of, you know, this isn't good. You know, you got to kind of slow down. you got to stop here. And, uh, and he was like, no, we want, a, we want a big family. Just, you know, leave me alone, you know. <laughs> um, when Carissa and I were, were coming back from Ireland on the plane, um, I remember that there was, a, there was a baby that was crying really hard. But you know who the real baby was? All the adults. <laughs> Who couldn't handle being around a crying baby for an hour and a half? It was so crazy. This, actually, it wasn't the Ireland flight. That might have been a little bit trying. But it, was, it was one of the shorter flights on the way home. But, it, you know, they sort of act like, oh, man, like, why don't you just keep that thing, like, locked inside? I mean, literally, there was, like, adults seriously complaining throughout. And it's just like, get over it. Like, where do you think you came from? And they're like, hey, there's, like, some kind of off switch. And, like, can't the parents, like, do something? I'm like, what do you want them to do, you know? You know, um, I, rem- I remember years back, I really had to train myself when I started to understand this principle in scripture. I had to train myself that when I would see a pregnant woman or when I would find out that people were, were pregnant when, when there was going to be a new child in the family, I just had to train myself to say, man, what a blessing. God has blessed you with life. Like that's the most amazing thing. The most amazing thing to bring life into the world through you. What a blessing. People need to hear that. Young families need to hear that. So again, the point is that living things multiply. They reproduce trees and fish and animals and people. What about churches? If a church is really alive, shouldn't it also multiply? If Incarnation Tallahassee multiplied, let's just say if 30% of us went off to plant something on the south side, or if a dozen of us moved to Haiti, would we view that as a blessing or as a curse? What about if your missional community grew, uh, like outgrew your living room and you had to form two groups instead? Would you view that as a blessing? Or would you be sad to see half of your friends leave that mission that you're a part of? Oh, I don't get to see so-and-so and so-and-so anymore. Brothers and sisters, this is the way that it works in the kingdom of God. You give your best people away. When the church starts to take multiplication seriously, giving away some of their people and finances, now it's natural for questions like uh, about church health to arise. You know, we need to fix our own internal problems first. You know, shouldn't we straighten out our own budget first? We don't even have enough leaders to fill our own volunteer positions here. The longtime church planting guru Robert Logan writes, these are important, legitimate questions that most people wonder about when their church starts planting churches, when their church starts multiplying. And so often, I think we end up setting these two things against one another, church health and church multiplication, believing that they're sort of incompatible. 
But you know what's interesting? That all the studies say the exact opposite. That, um, that we, you know, we, we think um, that, that if we spread out, we're going to sort of diminish in quality. But the studies show that healthy churches multiply and multiplying churches become healthier. That actually healthy churches multiply and multiplying churches become healthier. A recent study by Natural, uh, Natural Church Development conclusively found that churches that give away members and resources to plant other churches continue to grow at almost twice the rate as churches that don't. Isn't that interesting? It's a, it's a nine to five ratio. How can this be? How can this be? That churches that are giving away resources and money and things like that are growing and are becoming healthier than these other churches, healthier in a variety of other areas as well. Well, Robert Logan suggests that the reason has to do with the energy that comes from a church that's really fulfilling its God-given purpose. He says, when a church knows its reason for existence and fulfills that destiny and purpose, it's incredibly encouraging. Concerns about church health no longer need to be a deterrent for beginning a plan for church multiplication. Now, he's not saying that it's always the right time for a church to plant another church. But if concerns about what will happen if we do loom too large, you'll never end up planting. And that will actually, in the long term, negatively impact your church, your church health. But we'll come back to this in a minute. So this first point, living things multiply. Second, all Christians are called to multiply disciples. All Christians are called to multiply disciples. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Specifically, let's pick up on verse 18. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Just, Just as a side point. One of the reasons why the Anglican Church makes a big deal about baptism is because the Bible doesn't say that the sinner's prayer is the way that you enter the family of God. It says baptism is the way that you enter it. I mean, you know, you put your faith in Jesus, but it's not just the sinner's prayer, right? Jesus says, baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So you need to get baptized, you know, you you know, talk to one of us. All right. Uh, Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the great commission, to make disciples of all nations. I'm not going to preach on this um, today. I just want to point out just a couple of things. And the first point is obvious, I think, that this mission is not something these 11 apostles can accomplish on their own, right? I mean, they, they can make some disciples, But they will not fulfill this mission if the disciples they make don't end up making disciples, right? So other Christians would have to get involved. In fact, all Christians are called to multiply disciples. I remember we were looking at this, uh, we were were hearing a message on this some years back at an InterVarsity conference. And, And this one student was really struck afterwards and I'm like, you know, what's going on? You know, what's going on? Like, how's God working in your life? And he said, you know, like, I've been a Christian, like, my whole life, but I don't think I've ever really owned the Great Commission. Like, I don't think I've ever really owned that this commission is to me. 
How about you? Have you owned your role in the Great Commission? How do you participate in Jesus' call to all Christians to be disciple makers? Maybe some of you participate through Kairos Prison Ministry or through helping lead a missional community or for tut- from tutoring internationals and sharing the love of Jesus, through sacrificial giving, through behind-the-scenes service or prayer that supports the wider mission. This is the stuff, guys. This is the disciple-making stuff. The point is that you're not just a seed that someone else planted. You're an apple. And you have the potential for an entire orchard within you. By God's spirit, by God's spirit working with you, you have a potential for an entire orchard. I want to flesh out how this principle of multiplication can look in real life. All right? Um, So I want to tell you about this, um, about this guy. I'm, I'm not going to name his name, but this guy uh, that I met when I was uh, a freshman in college. And I'm just going to call him Shy Guy. And <laughs> You like that joke? Um, so um, I met Shy Guy, and uh, he seemed like a nice guy and everything, um, but you know, he wasn't particularly funny. Um, he wasn't like particularly like intellectual, um, you know. Uh, he wasn't like particularly like a ladies' man or anything like that. There was any, there wasn't anything super impressive about him. I started going to his Bible study. I was like really surprised that there was like actually a lot of people at his Bible study. And as I stuck around, I realized, you know, why there's a lot of people at his Bible study? Because this guy like really loves God, like he's really sincere, and he actually serves the people in his group. I remember one time he showed up at Bible study. He was like. Um, I, I bought everybody concert tickets. Like, you don't have to go if you don't want to, but, you know, I, I just bought them. Like, it, it, and if you don't want it, you could just give it to somebody else. Whatever, like, what? This is like $20 a piece or something like that. You know, he spent his own money. And, uh, and so I remember after Bible study sometimes, I would be like, shy guy, man. You know, you should have said this. That would have been so funny, you know? Or you, or you should have said this. That would have been, like, so deep or whatever, you know? And he was just kind of, you know, these long pauses and, you know, real socially awkward. But Shy Guy had big Bible studies, and, and it, was, it was partially through him that I learned um, what, what it says in Jeremiah 9, um, which the, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, nor the strong man boast in his strength, nor the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows me. Right? I realized through this guy, I realized through this humble servant of God that that, hey, you know, I, I might have been like sort of entertaining people my whole life or sort of gathering people, but like in the kingdom of God, I had very little to offer and this guy had a ton to offer. So I became his uh, Bible study apprentice, right? Um, for real. I became his Bible study apprentice. And, uh, and so I learned how to lead Bible study. And then the next year, Carissa and I uh, led Bible study together. Um, and uh, we had a great Bible study. We studied Ecclesiastes, and there were all these skeptical philosophy people in the Bible study. It was really good. And then um, we, we moved to Tallahassee to replant the InterVarsity chapter here at FSU. There's way more stories than I can tell, but let me just kind of mention a few, all right? All right. So we met a guy named Steve, for example. 
and Steve, we were tabling on campus. We had this sign that said, um, interested in small group Bible study. That's what it said. and just had like a question mark. And we were just kind of standing there like, interested in small group Bible study? Interested? And, uh, and, and I saw this guy, Steve, walk by. And then he kind of stops like this. and goes like this. <laughs> and he turns around and comes back. And he comes and grabs a flyer. I said, hey, cool. Hey, thanks, man. And he showed up that night. He's like, I had to show up. He's like, because he, he actually had just come to faith. And his neighbor, because his neighbor had been praying for him his whole life. And he said, just before I left for school, my neighbor said to me, find a small group Bible study. <laughs> and so, so Steve, you know, uh, he didn't know anything. I mean, he's asking all these very elementary questions. You know, he's like, what's a Pharisee? And I was like, well, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. He's like, who's the Apostle Paul? Like, you know, and we're talking about like Eucharist. He's like, oh, I don't know what that is. We're like communion. He's like, I don't know what that is. We're like, the Lord's Supper. He's like, I still don't know what that is. <laughs> um, so after Steve graduated, um, he went back to this just kind of normal church um, that, that never had a small group ministry before. He learned how to lead small group. Um, you know, this guy who had no knowledge, he learned how to lead small group. And he started a small group ministry in this church that never had one before. And so he started his own string of seeds and apples and everything like that. And he started doing that amongst the youth. And who knows, who knows where some of these, you know, where, where some of those youth are today, right? All right, so another person we met not that long after that um, is named Fallon. Uh, and, uh, yeah, well, she's got some fans here. Um, and, um, and Fallon uh, came to know the Lord, um, was discipled through the group, and after she graduated, her and her husband um, went um, overseas to China for three years to um, teach uh, Chinese students English and to introduce them to Jesus, and to just love on them. So, uh, you know, over in China, just boom, you know, all kinds of apples and seeds and all kinds of things going on over there. All right. Then, then we, got this, we met this guy named John Orsell, right? And, uh, and, you know, John Orsell, you know, he was a you know, quiet, introverted guy, but he learned how to uh, lead Bible study, and he was just a really faithful guy. And, and that year that I was talking to you about earlier, where we started to spread out and send some of our best people to different places, um, John and another guy went to FAMU to plant an university at FAMU. And um, that was I don't, maybe five or six years ago, and it's still going today. And they're still making disciples. So, you know, John, you know, he, was, he, he wasn't so sure about that mission either. But he went there and, uh, and just made disciples. And that, that ministry is still making disciples. Now, and let, let me just mention one more, all right? All right, uh, the three most recent InterVarsity staff. All right, Brian, Michelle Brodeur, and Peter. All right. There were other IB staff that came too, but... Um, well, Brian, was, uh, um, Brian came to know the Lord, was discipled through InterVarsity, and, um, and now he's the discipleship coordinator for St. Peter's. And so, you know, there's, you know, dozens or, you know, hundreds of people over at that church, you know, that, that are being impacted by that. You know, Michelle, Michelle and Peter, the year after I left, they ended up um, raising up um, this, uh, this student that, that was in Peter's Bible study when he was a freshman, Miles and Katie, and then they went over to... Um, they went over to Gainesville to, to replant an InterVarsity chapter at UF. And so uh, Miles is st still over there working on staff, and so there's all kinds of disciples being made over there. But do you get, do you get the point? I mean, there's just like a few people, right? And if the people that they disciple like, end up making disciples, like, man, how, how much impact is that? It's really cool, isn't it? I think it is. 
I got one more picture for you later, by the way. I know you guys are looking for those awesome illustrations. So yeah, um, you know, this guy, this shy guy, he probably has, I, I haven't talked to him in years and years. He probably has no idea that, that this orchard was attached to his faithfulness. Right? He probably has no idea about that. And of course, he didn't do it all himself. No one does. We need the whole body of believers working together. But if you take Jesus' call seriously, if you pay it forward, Jesus will see to it that you leave behind an orchard. He will see to it. He's glorified by you being fruitful. He wants you to multiply. So finally, turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In Matthew 28, Jesus promised to be with us always to the very end of the age. And in Acts chapter 1, we find out exactly how he fulfills that promise, by sending the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus is with us always to the very end of the age. Actually, in Acts 16, 7, the Holy Spirit is directly called the Spirit of Jesus. Right? This is the Spirit of Jesus. Through the comfort and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, Jesus continues to be with us always. If you look at Acts 1.8, it's a sort of mission statement for the whole book of Acts. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this statement provides sort of a, um, like a narrative map or like a geographical map of what happens throughout the whole rest of the book of Acts. So it literally starts in Jerusalem, and then it begins to spread to the neighboring cities in Judea. And then by Acts chapter 8, we see churches getting planted in Samaria. And then by chapter 10, we see the Gentiles starting to get reached. And then that's spreading out and spreading out and spreading out until Acts chapter 28, when Paul arrives in Rome. Right? It spreads so far across the Mediterranean Sea. And as we read on, we learn that the main way the Holy Spirit accomplished this mission is by multiplying churches. That's the third point. We're called to multiply churches, not just disciples, but local communities of believers. So the idea is not just that we go out there and do evangelism and grow by addition. The idea was that evangelism would lead to new churches in these areas. And then these churches, as they're established in Antioch and Philippi, would begin sending out their own missionaries to plant churches in other areas. Multiplying churches means planting churches that go on to plant other churches that go on to plant other churches. So Incarnation, we've, we've been around for a little less than a year and a half. And I think it would be really awesome if we could plant three or four churches in like our first 10 years. Like if we kind of said, hey, Let's, like, let's, let's multiply. Let's plant these churches. But you know what would be even more cool? If those churches we planted were church planting churches. Right? Because then like maybe in like 20 years, there'd be like 20 or 25 churches. And they'd all be coming. They'd you know, start, to be, you know, start to be an orchard developing. Right? That's the way that it's supposed to work. Jesus is extending his mission to all nations. And he does it through church planting. That's what we see in the book of Acts. Now, the old adage is that if you make disciples, you'll make churches. And I think that has some merit, but I don't know if that's totally true. 
Because if you make disciples in a certain area and they don't get organized into a vibrant community of believers, it's more likely that their faith is going to fizzle out than that they'll form a new church or that they'll, they'll begin planting churches themselves. But I, want to, I, w- I want to illustrate this because I think we can be like very individualistic um, when we think about the mission, when we think about making disciples, and that's just not the way that the book of Acts um, works. So I want to illustrate this. Um, I've been working on this one. I've showed, I showed a couple of you guys this, all right? This is, a, uh, this is a Star Wars illustration, all right? All right, so in Star Wars, you have um, different kind of places that you can live, right? So you have planets, right? Or like you have like ships that are the size of planets, like the Death Star or something like that, right? And then, um, and then you have these um, bigger ships, kind of like the Millennium Falcon. And you could, yeah, that's the Millennium Falcon. It kind of looks like Pac-Man. Um, and, um, the, you know, you can, you can live on the Millennium Falcon probably for several years, right? You know, when, when Han Solo comes back to it in the new movie, he says, Chewie, we're home, right? So, you know, the Millennium Falcon, it's, it's a place that you can, you can abide for several years, right? Um, and then you have these, like, fighter jets that are a little bit smaller, right? And then, you know, from, from ships like the Millennium Falcon, you have these, like, little pods, Right? These little pods that come out, you know. So R2-D2 was in one of these pods in, in, in the first movie, you know. Um, and so, so it seems to me like when it comes to the mission of God, this is a terrible picture, is it that bad? <laughs> you got this look of utter scorn on your face. <laughs> it might just be because you're a Star Trek fan. Yeah. All right. So, so in, in this illustration, all right, um, my point is, is that if this planet doesn't exist, if the church doesn't exist, right, um, then after a while, these things will fail to exist, right? So, so let's just say that, that um, the Millennium Falcon is InterVarsity, all right? Um, InterVarsity, I, I love InterVarsity. I worked for InterVarsity for years. I still love InterVarsity. And um, it's a place that you can live for a while. You know, it's, it's a very uh, multifaceted parachurch organization. I mean, it, it's almost functioning like a church. It's, it's sort of this, like, discipleship mission community that you get to be a part of for a while. And, and as you're a part of InterVarsity, maybe you, maybe you get involved in these little discipleship triad kind of things or, like, gigs with non-believers where you're looking at the Bible study. These are a little bit more like pods, you know. They're, they're these relationships. They're key you, you can't live in them for very long, though, right? You know, when, when, you're, when you're having an evangelistic Bible study with somebody, you eventually, if they're only attached to you, you know, that's, that's not healthy. You want them to, to, to go to the wider body of believers. But then you have these things. These are more like fighter, you know, fighter jets. These are more like, you know, missional small groups or like a, a, in, uh, at Incarnation, missional communities. And, uh, and these are kind of like front lines groups, right? There's lots of mission going on, you know, uh, hopefully as, as our groups sort of deepen in their effectiveness, you know, they'll, they'll get salty and we'll see people come to, more people coming to know the Lord through these groups, you know, impacting the poor, different things like that. Um, but, you know, these groups need the church, right? They need to come back. They need to be refueled for the mission, Right. They need to be re-envisioned for the mission. They need to have things on them that are, that are wonky. They need to have them corrected. And so that's part of the reason why um, the mission of God is not just about these pods. That's one of the things that, that sort of disturbs me about the way that we talk about mission oftentimes um, now in, in, the, in, the, in the West, especially where we're so individualistic. It seems like so much, so much of the time we're just talking about this. And we have no vision for this. 
right? But if, but if we don't have the church, these things are going to really suffer in terms of their long-term fruitfulness, in terms of their longevity, right? All right. That's all I got. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, my talk's not over, but that's all the pictures I got. Are you guys clapping for that? Okay. So when you're, when you're participating in the mission, either locally or internationally, um, I just advise you to pay um, a, a special attention to that ministry's connection with the local churches. So this is key issue in terms of long-term fruitfulness. Because it's not just that we're called to evangelize, we're called to multiply, to make disciples that are formed into new churches. And through the story of Acts, we learn that the call of Matthew 28 means that we're called to multiply churches. And if this sounds like stressful or unattainable, remember the truth from verse 11 that we see here, that Jesus will one day return and finish the job. Right? It's his job to consummate the mission. He inaugurated the kingdom of God, and he will consummate the kingdom of God. So let me just summarize. Um, so we had three points all related to the topic of multiplication. First, that living things multiply. That's true for trees, birds, people even churches, too, that all Christians are called to multiply disciples, to own the Great Commission and start our own discipleship tree, remembering that the Spirit of Jesus is with us as we go on this mission. And number three, we're called to multiply churches. We need more than pods, more than fighter ships, even more than Millennium Falcons, more than Pac-Man. We need to establish ongoing communities of faith. So what do you guys think? Should we start a church? Should we plant another church? I hope you guys are excited about that. And like, I, you know, I'm not trying to say, hey, this is something the Holy Spirit's asking us to do right now, but we, hey, we got to be open to this. This has got to be our posture, right? Incarnation Tallahassee is called to plant churches. We're absolutely called to plant churches. You know how I know? Not just because it's what the Holy Spirit has been telling many of us in prayer for many years, but because multiplication is God's call on all disciples and all churches. That's how the mission goes forward. That's how a seed becomes a tree and a tree becomes an orchard. Amen. 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 I'm just going to just take a couple of minutes. If anybody has any questions or thoughts that they just... Uh, want to ask or share, I just want to take a moment to do that so we can kind of just process this together. Yes, Elizabeth Riley. What are some practical next steps to own the mission of God? Liz said. Um, I think it depends on whether we're talking about on like an individual basis or as a church. I think on an individual basis, we do want to ask ourselves, like, what is my mission? You know, what am I doing with my life, with my time that is contributing to the Great Commission? Um, one of the things that I'm so eager for this church to develop more, and, and, uh, and, and frankly, uh, InterVarsity probably has much more going than we do, I'm, I'm interested for there to be more opportunities to serve and dive into the mission. Some of you guys don't need to wait for those opportunities because you're so entrepreneurial or you're so just kind of go get them. You're like, you've always got like, you know, three evangelistic relationships buzzing around you anywhere, whatever, you know. But, but for a lot of people, um, they, they kind of need the body of Christ to sort of set the table for their specific gifts. And... Um, I think we all need to be asking ourselves the question, what is my mission? Um, 
I do think that there are times when the Lord calls us to, um, to take like a more extended time of rest for whatever reason. Or for some of us, it's like, my mission is to be a young mother right now. I got a brand new baby, you know, or what, you know, and I, I, I don't want um, to look at it in too, in too much of a two-dimensional sort of way. Um, that is a mission, right? We just heard, you know, it's God's first commission, you know, be fruitful and multiply. Um, make, make disciples out of your children. But, um, but I, I think we all need to be asking ourselves that question. And I think as we follow Jesus it, and, and, we're, and we're seeking to engage in the mission, in those ways, hey, I'm going to try out this, and oh wow, I really liked Kairos, or I really liked like leading missional community, or I really liked um, doing evangelism through Alpha or whatever. We'll find kind of where our niche is, and then as we mature in Christ, He sort of expands our capacity. We don't want to like, you know, put ten things on our plate, you know, when 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 our capacity right now is six, you know, or whatever. But um, but we, we start to engage in the mission, and then Jesus matures us, expands our capacity, and sharpens our focus. I think as a church, um, there are people in this church who are probably called to plant churches, um, who, who maybe have apostolic gifts or the kind of like evangelistic gifts or the kind of like gathering gifts that like the, the dream or the, or the seed to plant the next church from Incarnation Tallahassee like might not come through like the centralized thing. You know, it might be like something's already going on and we see that and we're like, whoa, okay, how can we kind of come alongside that? So it might be grassroots in that way. Um, I think that's one thing, but I, I think we want to pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest, you know, is, is a really, really critical thing. Every book on church planting, every book on revival, like ever, starts by saying, ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Because oftentimes we don't multiply um, because we don't have a heart for the harvest. You know, we don't have a heart. You know, Jesus saw the people. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And out of that, he would, com- he would train these disciples and commission. They need shepherds, you know. And so we need Jesus' heart for the harvest. And we need to ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest field. Yeah, um, so, so Tim's asking, how do, we, how do we connect people who are maybe just on the pods or just the fighter jets or even InterVarsity um, to, to sort of like the long-term sort of wider body of Christ to the local church? You know who's, you know who's a good person to talk, to that, uh, talk about that with is Peter? Because um, I think Peter Labar, um, he, he's on Ivy staff, but he just has such a heart for connecting that to the church. But I think it, it comes from... The people who are leading these pods or the people who are leading these fighter jets having a vision for the wider body of Christ and not sort of like defining their group in opposition to all other Christian groups. Because that's oftentimes what happens. It's that sort of like cult mentality. It's like, we're not like these other guys. That's why you like me, you know? And then that ends up isolating people in the long run, right? And so you, you, you need to have leaders that really have a vision for connecting people to the wider body of Christ and then... You know, some of these fighter jets are, are sensitive. You know, some, some of these high school ministry small groups or whatever, you know, hypothetically speaking, Tim, you know. Um, you know, these, these students um, uh, might be, um, like, very turned off to the local church. And so I think there need to be, like, winsome dialogue between, like, leaders of the local church and the leaders of these groups about, like, what are some ways that, like, we can begin to 
make a little bit more of a connection that feels like relevant, that feels like it's, it's, it's matching a certain need for this group, and help them to kind of say, hey, you know, um, you know, you know, this elderly woman, you know, at church that's a prayer warrior. I like really love her, and now I want to like come and worship with her now, you know. But 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 they need they need uh, I think the context, like they, they need the table set for that kind of meeting to happen in a winsome way, instead of just coming and it feeling like culturally speaking nothing is for them. One more question, yeah, Jess. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good point. We, we can be very consumeristic about church. Like, I want to go to a place that, you know, meets my needs, that fills me up, that whatever. But, Jesse, you're, you're an orchard. You're called to be an orchard, brother, you know? Um, you guys are called to bear fruit in that way. That, it's an empowering thing that Jesus trusts the mission to the body of Christ in the same way that the Father in, cre- in creation trusts the continuing multiplication to, um, to the first human beings, you know, to the first animals, right? God, call, God entrusts us the continuing mission and knows that we can become orchards. Amen. Amen. Let me just uh, close us in prayer. If you please stand and uh, we'll get ready to say the Nicene Creed too. Could you, could you put that back there? I'm just going to close my eyes, and uh, if you feel like this, this, this message is really um, stirring something very specific for you, like maybe you feel like, I really need to own the Great Commission, or I've been hating on the local church, or, or whatever, um, you know, if you want to, like, have a posture of reception, like maybe put your hands out or something, um, if you feel like you need um, to receive prayer. I'm going to pray for everyone. Heavenly Father, I'm excited about your mission that's been going on um, since Jesus was walking this earth. And that you've been raising up leaders and disciples who make disciples, and we get to be a part of that, which we love, Lord, because there's nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing better than his way, and we want his way to be made known. We want his life to be made known. We want his kingdom to come. Father, I pray that you would empower us as a church to see the harvest, to pray and ask you for laborers to come into the harvest. Lord, stir stir our hearts to pray. I pray that you would empower each of the disciples that are standing here right now, including the children who are back uh, learning right now. Empower them, Lord. Empower them with your word. Give them relationships. Give them opportunities to wash people's feet. Father, give them opportunities to speak your truth. Give them opportunities to sacrificially love others. Father, I pray that all the disciples in this room would be disciples who multiply disciples. Teach us how, Lord. We know that you can. Amen.